This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. This is ESPN New York Tonight. Here's Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer. Hey, pretty good night for the local hockey teams. Devils win, Islanders win, the Nets lose, and that might be where we start tonight. That's the number to join us on this Tuesday night edition of ESPN New York Tonight. And you can also hit us up on Twitter at Hardesty ESPN, at Gordon Damer, at ESPN NY, 98 underscore 7 FM, along with Jake the Snake and Brian the Brain. We are here until midnight when it's Freddie and Fitz. They continue the conversation on 98.7 ESPN. Good evening, Mr. Damer. How are you? Larry, what's going on, my friend? Everything is good, partner. Everything is good. Good day for you? Yeah, can't complain. Excellent. Excellent. Well, apparently, one of the net players is complaining. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was an interesting story. It was in the Bleacher Report. And it is sources. Sources. Remember those, Gordon? Sources. Oh, you got to know the sources. Got to know the sources. And they indicate that James Harden is not real happy. And maybe, maybe looking to exercise his free agency. Even if it means coming back to the Nets. He's going to exercise his free agency. Translation, if we are to believe the sources, he's not signing nothing until the end of the, He's not signing anything until the end of the season, maybe free agency or not. So I'm real curious about this because, Gordon, we touched on it when we text each other early as we take you behind the scenes of our Hardesty Damer afternoons. Um, and and it's, it's interesting because with all the talent they have, I mean, I understand why the Knicks are struggling. <laughs> you know, I get that. But when you look at the talent, yeah, there's unforeseen circumstances. You got the injury with Durant again this year that's derailed them. Kyrie's been in and out of the lineup. It was injuries last year. And this year, it's, it's you know, it's the situation with COVID. And you got James Harden. And, you know, you look at them, them play the Lakers tonight. And, Gordon, it was like it was Harden, Patty Mills, and that's it. And if you're James Harden, you're like, you know, listen, I came here to be part of a big three. I didn't come here to do all this heavy lifting that I've had to do lately. Right. If he, if he was going to do that, he could have done that in Houston. Yeah. Now, he's got a far more talented group here than I, I think that he had in Houston. But, mm-hmm. yeah, a little trouble in paradise. And, and what this really shows you, you know, we always talk about the Nets' big three, the big three in Brooklyn. It's a big one. It's yeah. Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant is there, I think that the Nets have a very good chance to win an NBA title this year. But if there's for any reason that he's not there, they're not winning with, with James Harden. Even if, if something changes with the mandate and it's, and it's Kyrie and James Harden, it has to the, the, whoever is in that big three, it's really just the big one of Kevin Durant, and hopefully he can get some more help than he had last year. Because if he had a little bit of help last year, the Nets very well might have won the whole thing last year. You're absolutely right. And obviously he's, he's working on uh, his sprain, and they're not going to rush him back. The announcement no. tonight during the game of he's not going to play in the All-Star game. Listen, I could have told you that when he went out. <laughs> That's <laughs> like when they told me the baseball owners are willing to lose games. Oh, really? Oh, wow, what a shock. Really? Is that, you don't yeah, say. No. Yeah, no. I, I mean, listen, as long as he's back by April, they're happy. Exactly. Yeah. They're happy because they're going to make the playoffs. They're, they'll tread enough water. But I tell you, I do I, I feel a little I feel a little sorry for Steve Nash. You look down that bench, you know, you play the Lakers tonight, then you've got Denver tomorrow. Uh, once again, no Kyrie. And, you know, you're looking at a situation where, I mean, gosh, we got back-to-back. We got two games. We don't have him. 
And, man, this is a lot of pressure to put on that. And, listen, the young players have stepped up. They've played well. But when you start to get to the elite you know, players and teams in the NBA, it's a little, it's a little harder for those kids to, to give you the same production that they do against, you know, lesser talented teams. Yeah. Especially when you have other guys that generally should be eating up major minutes in, in Kyrie when it's a road game or when, when Durant is healthy. So it, it's like anything else. You just keep pushing. Yeah. If you're missing one of them for a, a short while, guys will step up next man up that type of stuff. But when you're missing them for a while in four to six weeks, that's a long time. It is. To be missing someone as great as Kevin Durant is, that, that puts a strain on things. And, and Harden not only unhappy apparently with the, the Brooklyn team per se, but the, the Brooklyn area it doesn't seem like he's a big fan of either. And he's not exactly a huge fan of, of Steve Nash. So a little trouble in paradise with Brooklyn. It is. It is. And, of course, James Harden answered those questions. We'll hear from him when we return. <laughs> This is ESPN New York Tonight. Here's Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer. And 1-800-919-3776. Also hit us up on Twitter. Hardesty and Damer till midnight on 98.7 ESPN. So, Gordon, we touched on before the Sports Center the situation with James Harden. So let's take you to the Barclays Center. Here are the first uh, conversations with uh, James Harden and the media about uh, being unhappy in Brooklyn. Let's go. Hey, James, there's a there's some reports out today that's, that suggest that you might not be happy in Brooklyn or with the rotations that are happening. I'm just wondering, A, if you can speak Reports to... Reports from who? Uh, All right, then. Um, Bleacher Report. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, instead of speaking to the reports, can you just talk about your experience living in Brooklyn? I mean, <laughs> the, the report suggested that you were unhappy. Talking about reports, I don't, I don't know about reports. Did you guys hear from me? That's, like, that's what I'm asking. All right, so um, I don't know about no reports. <laughs> Do you enjoy New York City? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds like he's loving New York. Gordon, can't you tell? <laughs> I think they might put that in the commercial. You know, the I love New York commercials. Yeah. They might, they might include that. It was such a ringing endorsement. Oh, it was ringing. And of course, I'll tell you, I. Listen, he may he may be luke he may be lukewarm between Brooklyn and Houston, but I know one thing: his tax dollars are going oh, to New York. That, <laughs> the, the, I, nobody can disagree with that, right? Like no state income tax, Brooklyn. I mean, that's New York state taxes. Uh, that uh, that one nobody can really disagree with, can they? No, not at all. All right. So now the other conversation, and you alluded to it uh, in the article, was that he's not real happy with. Steve Nash and the rotation. So since he act like since he indicated he didn't know what anybody was talking about that he was unhappy, the reporter another reporter asked him about, well, what about the rotations? One of the complaints that the report claimed that you had was with uh rotations, you know, not having set crunch time rotations. I don't Guys know. I don't know. I don't, listen, listen, I don't know about any reports. Of course, I'm frustrated because you know, we're not healthy. You know, we're just, it's a lot of inconsistency for whatever reason. Injuries, COVID, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's frustrating. I think everybody in this organization is frustrated because we are better than what our record is and we should be, you know, on the way up. So that's all it is. I don't I mean I don't know about reports. If you didn't hear from me, like I don't I don't I don't talk to nobody. I have an agent. <laughs> like, you know, if you don't hear from me, then it's reports. So um 
you know, just I'm, I'm frustrated because I want to win and I'm, I'm a competitor. It's pretty simple. Uh, COVID or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if he was asked the question. Maybe we'll have one. I would ask specifically, are you frustrated with Kyrie Irving's status? Well, I know and he the is. Burden that, and, the, and the burden that that is putting on you. I mean, I think that's also kind of fair. It is. It is. And I know the answer to that, Gordon, because he alluded to it maybe a week or so ago when he indicated that if, if I could give him the vaccine, I would. Right. Yeah, but like <laughs> that it came off as kind of like joking, maybe right. a little wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, the yeah. article itself makes it seem like, no, this is – you know, the Durant one, there's nothing can be done, right? No, He's hurt. No. You have to have him ready for the postseason. No, Let him absolutely. sit out. The, 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 the regular season is not that important to the Brooklyn Nets. But the Kyrie one, I can understand him being frustrated with that. Got to be. Got to be. Like, like we said. And then the idea further on in that article, Gordon, that, you know, he could end up in Philly and um, – you know, possibly a trade. Did you read that? Possibly a trade with yeah, the, I, there's with no, the there's, Simmons. There's, and there's not, it's not happening. No. It's not happening. No. They wouldn't do that. But he could end up there as a free agent. Sure. And I can understand. He's never been a free agent in his career. He's a very good player. He's one of the top 15, 20 players in the sport. He's never tested free agency. He's getting a little older. So if this is his last, probably last chance to do so. So he absolutely should. And it, it just kind of shows you and talks to the shelf life of this Brooklyn experiment. Mm-hmm. When Durant and and Kyrie got together, you figure, oh, these guys, they're gonna win, they're gonna win a title there. Yeah. And then when they added when they added Harden, you're, oh my gosh, they're the overwhelming favorite. How can they lose? And then they lose yeah. last year. That window of opportunity has never been that wide open. It's no. it's and, and what I think he's saying is is that it's this year or or bust in yeah, terms of his, his yeah, yeah exactly. and his involvement. Exactly. And listen, uh you don't really know about Kyrie either, right? Because he could come no. back. He could, <laughs> yeah, he could yeah, come yeah. at the end of the year and say, I'm not coming I, back either. Right. Bleacher <laughs> Report's not even trying to tackle that one with any sources, right? Like, there's no way that they could possibly put one together about what he will do five minutes from now, never mind after the season or the trade deadline. And one thing, and, and Harden had a tremendous game tonight, you know, 33 points in 38 minutes. I mean, really being predominantly the only guy. Um, and I mean, look, Patty Mills did, did a great job. But I mean, when you talk about who you're trying to look to stop, he was the focus of that offense. There's no question about it. And, you know, I'll say this since his conversation, maybe it's maybe it's coincidence. But since his conversation about not getting foul calls, I've seen him go to the line an awful lot, Gordon, <laughs> an awful lot. He went he had nine free throws tonight. Yeah. Uh, he's a guy generally I think goes to the line. I mean, I'm not watching it night in and night out mm-hmm. that closely, but uh, he's a generally a guy that goes to the line a ton. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely he does. So it'll be interesting to see how the Nets are going to hold on and, and try to – look, they're 29 and 18, 12 and 12 at home, and yet they're struggling through a little bit of inconsistency. But once again, the issue here is, okay, who, where are they going to get more help? And uh, LaMarcus Aldridge was decent tonight. But the other side of this, Gordon, I, you know, you just continue to shake your head at what LeBron James is doing at the age of 37, Gordon. I mean, it's just 33 points in 34 minutes. I mean, the, the efficiency is unbelievable with this guy. Yeah, and getting Anthony Davis back, they, they need something. Uh, yeah. They need something in the worst way, and hopefully he can now be healthy and stay healthy because he's not exactly had the greatest track record. But they definitely need to, to get moving here. For, for the Lakers to be at a 500 team, 
Uh, that the Knicks are are almost a 500 team, so that tells yeah, you right. that that's a that's a bad way for the for the for uh, the Lakers to be. And I, and I assume, you know, there, there's very few uh, stronger brands than LeBron's team, whoever it is, mm-hmm. getting together at some point and going on the run. So I'd expect that to come, but uh, yeah, they they, they got to get moving here. No question about it. And before we turn our attention to a little football, Gordon, R.J. Barrett spoke today at the Knicks had a little, uh, you know, shoot-around action, I guess. And uh, his comments were about, you know, the issues he's got with this free-throw shooting. Here's what R.J. Barrett had to say. It's frustrating because, you know, that's it's kind of the game right there. You know, that's, that's, that's 10 points. We lose by two. You know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, it's frustrating. Um especially for myself, uh, getting there, you know, so many times, got to be able to capitalize. Um, yeah, man, just, I can't, I can't be out there, you know, just letting the team down, like, missing that many free throws. Uh, it's been, like, three out of the last four games, I missed, like, half of my free throws, so I'm, I'm going to fix that. You know, it's funny. Um, we got, we were part of a group text, a uh, group a tweet rather uh, from Ed Birdling who indicated, who sent us a uh, article, a link for an article in hoopshabit.com saying that Quentin Grimes should replace RJ Barrett in the Knicks lineup because of the fact that he, Quentin Grimes, better shooter uh, from three should be, the theory is he should be able to spread the floor a little bit more offensively because for whatever reason, Barrett just doesn't do that because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't shoot the three consistently. And Gordon, it was interesting because uh, I think he shoots the three better when he's aggressive going to the basket as opposed to just trying to hang out and shoot threes. He, he just seems to be, maybe it's a rhythm, maybe it's a flow, whatever it is. But when he's going to the basket and getting in rhythm and going to the basket strong and finishing, and oh, and by the way, finishing by hitting his free throws when he gets fouled, uh, he just seems to hit the three better. But I don't know if, listen, it's still Tom Thibodeau, so I don't see Grimes replacing Barrett in the starting lineup anytime soon. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. And you know what the puzzling thing? I know he's never really been a great foul shooter. He was far better last year. It's puzzling to me because my 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 impression of R.J. Barrett is, is that he's a worker. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that works on his game, right? He's maybe not the top-end explosive talent of somebody who's the third overall pick, but he's going to be a well-rounded player who focuses on everything and is, is kind of not maybe great at any one thing, but good across the board. So for him to be a worker and a guy we've seen take major strides in his game, for foul shooting to still be an issue like it's been here, uh, it's kind of puzzling. It doesn't kind of mesh with who I think he is as a player. So I would think that he is going to have to improve on this clearly. And and I wouldn't bet against it. Like last year, I think he shot 75% at the line. Mm-hmm. And this year he's at like 67, 68%. So mm-hmm. he, that's that's a clear area. And he and that that was one of the areas he jumped from la, from from his rookie year to year two. So mm-hmm. uh, it's just puzzling. It doesn't really mesh with who he is as a player. And what he's shown to be. You, right. You're absolutely right. He's, he's proven to you that if there's ever an area that he feels he needs to work at, he does. The only thing I would say is considering that Tom Thibodeau talked about him getting back into the – Jim on a couple of occasions earlier this year when the when the shot was struggling before he went on this mini uh, you know streak of playing really well it could be Gordon that he just you know 
fatigue, yeah, nagging injury. You know, sure. maybe he just hasn't been in the gym as much as he needs to. But uh, clearly, uh, he needs to get back in there and finish off those free throws because now that he is getting to the basket and he has improved right. his handle to get to the basket, you got to finish it off. Sure, absolutely. More significant, more significant now than before. Absolutely, no question about it. He talked about the fact that he got turned down for the job in Green Bay. That's a job that went to Mike McCarthy at the time. And Mike McCarthy is in Dallas. And a lot of people are wondering now if Sean Payton is going to wind up coaching the Dallas Cowboys. No, he's not. Not this season. That's not happening. That's not on the table. That's not an option. Sean Payton is going to take some time to unwind here, process. He very well could come back to coaching next year after taking this season off. But right now, it doesn't look like it's in the cards for Sean Payton to coach this season. Could he be in television? That's certainly possible. But this is a decision that Sean Payton came to over recent weeks. He's known about this for quite some time. Adam Schefter on Sean Payton, formerly of the New Orleans Saints. It's hard to stay in Damer until midnight on 98.7 ESPN. Gordon, what do you, what do you think about that? Do you, do you really believe he's going to take the year off? Or could, there be, could that be his intention but a deal comes in, and it's like, ooh, that's too good. Maybe I want to hang around a little bit. Yeah, I just don't know what what organization – because if you're going to pursue him, I'm assuming you're going to be giving up draft picks. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be giving up draft picks, you have to have some level of expectations for the following season. And if it's not Dallas – let me just put it that way – like – that's a team that would have an obvious need where they could see an upgrade from their current coach to him – and they don't really have a high draft pick. I think they're picking 23, 24, somewhere around there. So if, if Adam Schefter is saying that's not a possibility, that's not in the cards, I don't know what other organization would be like, you know what, we're willing to give up a first-round pick to get Sean Payton in here. Uh, Giants got a couple of first-round picks. Yeah, no, I'm saying, but, like, the, the Giants aren't going to give up the, the fifth pick or the seventh pick in the draft. They're, they're miles away from mm-hmm. just needing a head coach, and they could wait – not that they're going to, but – they're, they have a lot of work to do, and I think that they're going to find a coach this offseason and not just make it a one-year thing. So I don't think that they're going to want to give up compensation that they would have to pay, clearly, to get Sean Payton. So I do think he's probably going to sit out a year, and, and that's a smart move for him because, mm-hmm. as we see every year, what are there now, nine jobs that are open? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like a third of the league almost. <laughs> I know. You're right. Yeah. And not a lot <laughs> – not a lot of high-profile ones. I mean, look, Giants, obviously, Dow- uh, Denver, but, I mean, Jacksonville. Uh, yeah, nobody. Uh, yeah, Houston. Yeah, no, Houston. A lot of places I don't think people want to go. <laughs> if, you don't have, if you have other options, you're not going there, is my point. Which is going to be interesting because if you're, let's say you're like a, a Todd Bowles, for instance, right, Gordon? Mm-hmm. Uh, you've had your opportunity as a head coach. You're getting these interviews. Are you... Are you willing to take that opportunity to say, all right, let me let me get back into coaching there? Or is it safer for you to say, you know what, let me let me roll the dice, let me come back to Tampa. All right. And maybe next year in next year's cycle, I'll have some better opportunities. Or the fact that Sean Payton's going to be part of next year's cycle, Gordon, makes you say, maybe I better get out and try to get something this year. Yeah, I look, the future is unknown, clearly, but you take a look at the jobs that are available this year. I don't think that there's any great jobs. 
I don't think that the Broncos job seems to be the one that everybody kind of agrees is number one, but that mm-hmm. is all dependent upon finding a quarterback. Right. They got to upgrade there. So that is a pretty good job, but I don't know necessarily that it's the one that I'm, I'm going bended over backwards for. And right. I don't think it's, I don't think it's impossible to kind of foresee some openings next year. If things go sideways, like would it really shock you that much if the chargers next year miss Ooh. the playoffs again? Mm-hmm. that they might see Sean Payton out there and think to themselves, well, that's a, that's a clear upgrade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the type of thing that I'm thinking. But that's a long Same way thing away. with Dallas, like, as you said. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Dallas, I mean, that was, it has to be like the odds-on favorite for where Sean Payton coaches next. It has a mm-hmm. relationship there. It's a win-now situation. They could clearly use an upgraded head coach. Yep. So that one would make a whole lot of sense. Uh, there would be no uh, quarterback sneaks with time running out. With Sean Payton. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I'd like to think that they would be a little bit better than that. Sean Payton, in his own words, why did you decide to leave the Saints and coaching now? Every year you go to training camp, and the one unique thing about our job is it's entirely different than your summer. And I don't know if, if it was a year earlier, maybe, depending on when Drew retired. It, look, he and I never discussed when his last game would be or when I'd be finished. I just felt like this season, wasn't, it was challenging for everyone, but man, I felt like it was time. I felt like it was time, you know, I kind of knew maybe heading into training camp this might, but you don't, you, you, you know, you don't share that with anyone. You think, well, let's see how the season goes and we're working hard and, and I felt the time was right for me. I felt the time was right. And it's something that I, I, I've been thinking about. Uh. Could the roster trouble at quarterback have anything to do with your decision? So we had won four divisions in a row and competed our tail off. Tampa Bay this year won the division, and congratulations. And yet we battled against them. Atlanta and Carolina, they're working to get things going. And so I like the roster. Yeah, there's some challenges, but, man, we played good defense this year. Man, our kicking game, Riz and Phil, were outstanding consistently in, in the top five. And, you know, you see a lot of exciting football, but you also see a lot of bad football, and it's hard for the fan to see it. And there's a, there's a, there's a young group of offensive players, but it wasn't about that. Um, it wasn't about that. It, it was a personal decision of feeling like, you know, so it's sometimes hard to, but not with any regret. There's some excitement, like, all right, what next? I, I, and I honestly don't know what's next. You know, I, I, it, it's amazing to me, uh, Gordon, just talking to coaches over the years, in whatever the sport, but especially football, with the amount of time that you have to put in with meetings and game plans and all the other stuff that you do. I mean, you know, sleeping on couches and sofas and not going home and just, you know, I, it's a wonder that coaches just don't burn out. You know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. it sounds like he kind of just – he's really saying – I need a timeout. I'm worn out here. Yeah, and I do. I do think it kind of has to do with the the situation, right? Like their cap situation is not great. They're not a they're not a very good offensive team overall. They need to find a quarterback, and I really think that he's kind of left them kind of stuck because mm-hmm. they paid Taysom Hill as if he's like a guy that can be their number one starter. But do you really feel confident in that if? Sean Payton is not the guy pulling the strings there. 
So it doesn't seem like a great team that is on the on the upswing. They need a lot of different things on offense uh, because Michael Thomas is not happy there. He's going to be mm-hmm. back, but they're, they're paying him a ton of money. It's a, it's a good time for him to get out uh, because I don't think that they're – I think they've seen the best of this group, and I think that they're going to have to kind of take a little step back before they're ready to then take another step forward. And clearly he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. No, no. But tell you, like look, you talk about all the things that you have to do as a head coach. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't include the, <laughs> the, the, real, the, the real losing part. And, you know, I was thinking about it. Jacksonville, if they were smart, would say to themselves, you know, we got this young quarterback and we need to pair him with somebody. But the fact that you'd have to give up draft picks or, or some sort of compensation to get Sean Payton there, uh, I don't know. And I, I don't know that Sean Payton, if he's not going to go through the losing in New Orleans, he's certainly not going to go through whatever losing there's going to be in Jacksonville. No, because he, he's got better talent. He's got better talent in New Orleans to lose with, right. to lose with than he has with Jacksonville. But Unless I do kinda, it's the, No, go ahead. Yeah, I do kind of wonder, though, if within like league circles – that the year that that Trevor Lawrence had makes people who might be prospective coaches kind of rethink because it seemed like coming into the league he was can't miss right mm-hmm. there's no way that he's going to be able to miss he's that great he's he's Andrew Luck he's Peyton Manning he's that level of quarterback and I just kind of wonder is it still that feeling throughout the league with all coaches or do do they th- do they see things from this past year that says you know what maybe. Maybe he might miss a little bit. Maybe I'm not willing to bet. It used to be 100%. Maybe now it's only like 72% that I'm convinced he's going to be as great as we thought. Yeah, that's an interesting point, Gordon, because there's always a coach somewhere who thinks they can fix him. Sure. There's always somebody. Oh, yeah. Look, Meyer didn't know what he was doing. Here's, here's, here's how you make this kid better. But uh, it's, it's, what, it's what your philosophy is. And – Here's the bottom line, and I was having this conversation with a, a beleaguered Jet fan this afternoon, and and that is, and we were talking about Josh Allen and the idea of listen, okay, if Brian Dabo comes, he can make Daniel Jones better. Doesn't mean he can make Daniel Jones Josh Allen, because there's you know there's there's no. certain there's certain things that the quarterback right. himself has to do. But and that of course is the appeal, right? If you're a Giants fan, that's what you're looking for. Oh, look look what he did with Josh Allen. We can bring him here, but. It is the ability for every team to be able to coach up their players, no matter who, no matter who they are and how they get them. Okay, and for Trevor Lawrence, yeah, he needs some more coaching. There's no question about it. Maybe they thought he was more than ready for the NFL because of how he played in college. But the bottom line here is, he, he there's something on his end that he's got to do more of, and the coaching staff as well, whoever the new coaching staff is, that has to have a different philosophy to make sure that they maximize his talent. Because, Gordon, every quarterback knows it's different in the NFL than it is in college. It's not even close. Yeah, and they are starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. They are starting from scratch. And, and how they, they solve these problems, if they solve these problems moving forward, what is, is, is not debatable is the Jaguars completely wasted that guy's rookie season. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And they've still got to find them some weapons. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, the, the talent, that, the, the uh, discrepancy that they have at talent, the, the lack of talent at ev- just about every position. I didn't think it was that bad coming into the year. But boy, oh boy, was I proven wrong? Yeah, yeah, I was proven wrong, man. I mean, I mean, he may not. 
Gordon, he may not improve for another two years because they have to get so much talent around him. Now, I was not a fan of the Urban Meyer hiring from jump. I thought it was a really strange move. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought it was a mistake. But when you have a bad situation and you get the quarterback who we all thought Trevor Lawrence was going to be, my thinking was they'll find some guys that we don't know about. They're more talented than we think they are Mm -hmm. because now they got the quarterback. And while he'll struggle in his rookie year, he'll have those moments. They were less talented than we thought they were, and he did yeah. not have those moments. So, yeah, it, that's a real that's a real mess down there. It is, it is, and uh, it's not a whole, I don't even see them in, having interviewed anybody for the job yet. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's not a whole lot of people rushing to to knock on that door, you know. But uh, listen, they'll 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 have to find somebody to coach yeah. that team. It's the type of situation, though. If you have another option, you're probably going to take the other option. Yes. Yes, but if you got a lot of confidence in yourself, Gordon, there's no way to go but up. That's true. You've had the number one pick two years in a row. Mm -hmm. That's the motto. Next year, we pick third. (laughs) Please. Right. ESPN New York tonight here on 98.7 ESPN. Freddie Fitz at the top of the hour. Gordon Damer. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm surprised at the results of the Hall of Fame voting. I'm not going to say I'm surprised. Uh, I always knew that uh, David Ortiz would make the Hall of Fame. Uh, he, you know, as a specialty player, and I was reading an interesting article from Joe Sherman in the New York Post yesterday. And um, he had some interesting thoughts about how he voted and whatnot and about the specialty of, uh, of David Ortiz and what he was able to do. And he likened him to Mariano Rivera that he was the best at his specialty than anybody else was. And that's why he deserved to go into the hall. And I think it's always in this era of steroids and questions around steroids and who did and who didn't and how and when did they do it and did they admit it and did they not admit it and what do we know? Uh, he was always going to be that that gray guy in the sense of yeah he would we're not sure whether he did or didn't but he is so beloved and so well liked if there was a doubt they would side with him getting in and he did yeah well I, I think what it shows is that unless it's like overwhelming circumstantial evidence people are generally willing to turn a blind eye. And David Ortiz is immensely popular. He's on the the pre- and the post-game shows for Fox. He was an incredible player, a clutch hitter, uh, part of the Red Sox for for all those years and all those titles. So he, I always thought he was going to get in. I'm a little, I'm, I guess maybe a little surprised that he got in in the first time mm-hmm. because we've seen, you know, Edgar Martinez. It took a while for him to get in, but uh, it was not overwhelming. It was not the ninety percent that we've seen other guys, but um, not really a surprise. Uh, the, the Bonds and Clemens stuff is not really a surprise either, unless a bunch of people changed their mind. We saw their numbers over the previous years. It seemed like that they were going to come up short, and it did. And, and again, I know that this has been done to death. I will just say what I always say. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are in the Hall of Fame. If you go right now, I haven't been there in many years, mm-hmm. but if you go to the Hall of Fame right now and you walk through the museum, I am positive there are bats, gloves, balls from Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens in there. There's memorabilia from both of them. They'll tell the story of both of those guys somewhere in the museum about their greatness. The only way, the only part of the museum they're not in 
is that separate area with all the plaques for all the players that have been deemed Hall of Famers. So mm-hmm. I know people get all worked up about, oh, how can you have a Hall of Fame with Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens not in there? Well, they're in there. They just didn't get a day to celebrate their careers, which however you feel about it, that's up to you. But they are in the Hall of Fame. If you go to the Hall of Fame and you find out about the story of baseball, I am positive Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, there's stuff in there from both of them. There's no question about it. And because of that, and, and I think, Gordon, as time goes by, uh, with these other committees and whatnot, oh, they may eventually get in yeah, because I mean, the longer it goes, you know, more people just like, okay, all right, enough, put them in, <laughs> yeah, put them in already because they were, here's the thing about them. They were Hall of Famers before. Yeah. From no, a number no standpoint, question. they Absolutely. were all, they were, they were headed. They, they were in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> they, they were guaranteed to be there when they, when they retired, unless they just fell off a cliff. Right. No, I mean, Bonds had three MVPs before any suspicions. Now, we don't know when the actual time was, but if that's to be believed, yeah, he had three MVPs. Clemens had three Cy Youngs before any Mm – we believe that he started when he got to the Blue Jays, but um, that will wait for another day. And maybe when some of the old-timers are off these different committees, these guys will get in at some point. Uh, I'm sure they will. Forever is a long time. Let's put it that absolutely. way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's our Tim Kirchin on David Ortiz making the hall. Well, obviously, this is the right move. He won three world championships. He made 10 all-star teams. He had 541 homers and had a 931 OPS. Only seven players in history can match both of those numbers. Look at his postseason career. He's one of the best postseason players ever. 2013 against the Cardinals in the World Series, he hit 688, and the rest of the team hit under 200. And when you're looking at the history of the Red Sox, Ted Williams is obviously the greatest Red Sox player ever, but you could make a case that either David Ortiz or Carl Yastrzemski is the second greatest Red Sox ever. That's how big an impact he had on that team, a leader in every way, and a Hall of Famer on the first ballot. Gordon, that's saying something. When you understand some of the great players that the Red Sox have had, to put him number two ahead of Yastrzemski, who was, you know, look, Hall of Famer, all-time great player, uh, Fred Lynn, Jim Rice, Noma. Uh, they've had some great, great, great players. Uh, but you know what? It, it's really about what you do in clutch situations, and you can't argue. Big Poppy was big time in the clutch. I uh, hated him. Hated him, you, but you have to. to respect him. Right. I mean, absolutely. He got it done when it mattered most, and uh... – that uh, time and time again, he came through with clutch hits and clutch home runs. So I don't really think that there's really any argument outside of the potential that he tested positive one time to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. Here's our Jeff Passon on Barry Bonds not making the Hall. And you cannot tell the history of Major League Baseball without the man who hit more home runs than anyone, without the man who hit more home runs in a single season than anyone, without the man who won seven MVP awards. I'm not trying to look past Barry Bonds' steroid use. It's bad, and it was obviously bad, but the reality is he was one of the greatest players in history. He's right up there with Babe Ruth. He is right up there with Willie Mays. And the fact that the writers did not induct him, I I think, is a true shame. And it's going to be on the Today Era committee that's going to be convening in December. There are 16 people on that committee, and Barry Bonds needs to get 12 votes in order to get on there. 
Obviously, he didn't hear your statement earlier, Gordon. About I, I mean, I don't know what, what people are talking about. You can tell the story. You can tell the history of the game involving Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens without having a day to honor them and, and mm-hmm. putting them in the, the player wing of it as well. Now, again, if that happens next year, I don't, I don't care. If it happens, yeah. mm-hmm. all but I love Barry Bonds. I've said many times he is the greatest hitter we will all ever see. Now, how he did that, I think we all know. But he is – there's never going to be a hitter we see ever again who's better than him. There was a stat, Larry, that the, the one year that was just the – I think it was the 73 home run year. It might have been the following year. I'm not sure. But one of those years, you could appear in every single game, hit a home run and a double in every single game, and you would have a lower OPS than Barry Bonds had that season. With maybe getting one pitch to hit. Right. Uh, it's ridiculous. That. I Maybe. mean, his his <laughs> stats are like cartoon stats. No yeah. one will ever come close to them again. They're ridiculous. They're just off the charts great. And if he gets into the Hall of Fame, by all means, that's great. Uh, I, I'm sure at some point he probably will. Uh, but this idea that you can't tell the story of baseball and that the Hall of Fame somehow can't tell the story of baseball without having Barry Bonds in that specific wing of the museum I think is silly. See, for me, they should go in and you should just put a, a, something on the plaque, an asterisk yeah, on the plaque. Yeah, sure. That, I, I think that that's fair. And, and, you know, like the baseball reference page, they put up all the stats, and the stats that he led the league in are in bold, right? It's in, like, black, mm-hmm. like like a, a, a bold black. Le- His He has so much bold black numbers that it almost is – there's more of that than there are of the regular numbers. That's how ridiculous it is. Yeah. Exactly. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN.